Hello, friend. Welcome to this episode of the Free Your Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Sylvester McNutter III, and today I have a special guest, Mr. Brandon Collinsworth. His life's work and story is incredible. His energy is amazing. It's warm. It's welcoming. And his knowledge is robust. Uh, I know that you'll enjoy this episode. In fact, he tells us a story about you know what? I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'm just going to let you experience it. Sit back and, and enjoy this nice long form chat with me and Mr. Brandon Collinsworth. And I hope this episode helps you to free your inner your energy. Where are you at now? I'm in Saloon. So it's really cool. Like you go to these these, I call them flashpoint spots around the world. And at certain times in history, there's this conjuring of energy. So Tulum has been one of the only places that's been open during the pandemic. And all of these entrepreneurs and innovators and podcasters and thought leaders from around the world come to Tulum. So there's like 20 plus co-working spaces you can go to any day. And like right now behind me, there's like 60, 70 people from all around the world doing podcasts, doing creation sessions and everything like that. So I'm in a place called Digital Jungle. It's a co-working spot. Mm. And these are the Zoom booths. They got like podcasting booths. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the same thing. They call it, uh, they actually call this a phone booth. I'm here at, uh, I'm at WeWork in Arizona. Yeah, I, I love WeWork, man. Yeah, I've been with them for probably six months now, about six months. I needed that just that space outside of the house. I think at first, right. you know, when I became an entrepreneur, I was built my business in the house from literally from my bedroom. And then I built it, you know, working at my job in the bathroom at my job. I've told that story before here on the, on the podcast where I was writing my wow. first book in the bathroom. I would sneak to the bathroom to write my first book. Wow. And so it's really cool to like be in a professional space now, 10 years later, <laughs> like, you know, the evolution there. Right, right. And, and that 10-year number is so symbolic, I think, to what it takes to really make it in the industry. You know, they say 10 years or 10,000 hours. It wasn't until I was 10 years into the fitness game that I actually started to, like, transcend beyond just hustling sessions when it started looking masterful rather than, like, this, this beautiful mess. So where, where's the entry point when, when people bring you on podcasts and they interview you? Where's the entry point into your teachings, your, your story, your, what, what feels in this moment, what feels most appropriate to you? It's a great question. I, um, the entry point that most people are fascinated with is that I came from very, very bleak circumstances and was able to transcend that and like, become the first in my family to graduate college, become an entrepreneur. And then on top of that, you know, travel the world and begin to study more indigenous and more ancient modalities of self-realization and holistic healing. And so just coming from the hood and that stark contrast of going from like literally institutionalized poverty, Section 8 housing, gangs, uh, collective trauma, a lot of what we talked about in our mastermind, to going to where I've actually been able to travel to 50 countries plus and take that 
those teachings and, and infuse them into the mainstream. I think that's what is most fascinating to people. Like, how did you do that? I'm often asked. And sometimes when people experience me or they hear the story, they first put me on a pedestal. But when they realize that I'm just a normal dude, trying my best, failing forward every day, it normalizes it. And I think it really gives a lot of people the inspiration to step into their humanity and also step into their dreams, their goals, and into their hearts calling. Okay, did you say 50 plus countries? 50 plus countries. Wow. Wow. That right there, you're living a lot of people's dreams. Tell me about some of your favorite places. You know, each one resonates differently. So I got I got kind of like a country for different things. When it comes to straight romance, I'm talking about grown and sexy, you got your queen or your beloved with you. Santorini, Greece. There's nothing like it. There's a city called Wea. And sunsets are beautiful. The feta cheese is amazing. And if you are gonna break the alcohol fast, that's where you do some red wine. Right there. Because it's incredible. Peru is for spirituality. Peru is also where I got reconnected with my dad after 27 years. And Peru is what helps me step into where I am now. Where I'm taking a lot of the traumas that once held me back and I'm using them as a mechanism as to teach and to share and to help people expand into higher levels of self. Bali is a heart opener. There's a city in Bali called Ubud. Ubud stands for medicine and Bahasa. Bahasa is the Balinese language. A lot of women go to Bali. I mean, this, it's like one to 40 is the ratio of men to women in Bali, in Ubud especially. But Bali was what helped me get more connected with my heart. Kenya, Africa, the Maasai Mar, that's where I got connected to my roots. And I would say my favorite city overall, just period, is Barcelona, Spain. It's the vibes, it's the ambiance, it's the tapas. It's the siestas, it's the late nights, late mornings. Spanish people just really know how to live. I've always had a calling to go visit Spain. I've actually envisioned myself living there, even though I personally have not been. <laughs> knowing, knowing what you know about me and, and your experience in Spain, what do you think? Is that, a good, is that a good mix? Do I belong in Spain? I have thought about this actually several times, and I think that the moment that you engage and indulge in that travel bug, I don't know if slides can be coming back mainland for a while. I feel like you're in Barcelona with like one of your fresh hats on, sipping a latte in the morning with a fam, and you're going to be like, never again. And that's what happened. A lot of like Black writers, the Langston Hughes and the James Baldwin's, they left. They went to France, they went to Europe, and all of a sudden they were embraced in a way that was so much more open and so much more vast, and their creativity was able to flow. And it was, uh, and, I, and I think especially as an Af- African-American man, I think that travel is so important because it allows us to see a perspective beyond the narrative that we've been inundated with since we were children. You know, Malcolm X, when he finally left to Mecca, he changed his whole entire philosophy. You know, one that was us versus them, he realized that it was really about humanity as a whole. Muhammad Ali, too, when he finally went to Africa and saw that it was different, it shifted. 
So I think travel is just such an important, important place for us uh, conscious leaders. And so, yeah, I think as soon as you 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 take that leap, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a game changer. I just text Daisy right now. I said, "Look up flights to Spain." <laughs> What's one place that you're you'll never go back to that I couldn't pay you to go back to? Mm, that's a great question. One place that I would never go back to. I think Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. It's a Muslim country. I've been to some Muslim countries that I loved, Egypt, I loved. But Abu Dhabi was very oppressive in a, in a, in a way that, that was subtle, but also very pronounced. You didn't see any women. It was like they basically put their women on the lowest tiers possible and a very hyper masculine, misogynistic country rooted in like egoic ideals and flash and uber, uber oil money. And when I was there, I just wasn't feeling the vibe. I didn't feel connected to it whatsoever. What What was your purpose for there? Was it travel, work? What was, why were you? There? Yeah, on my way to Africa, actually, I never went to the Middle East. Everybody was talking about Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and so I I did a stopover. And that's the cool thing is once you get into the travel world, you realize like you can organize stopovers where you stop in a space for two days, and then hop on your <clears throat> your final flight wherever you're going. So I stopped in Abu Dhabi for, for a day. That's one like, thing I that I'm not get out of here quick enough. That's one thing I'm experiencing here in Arizona. Uh, the Southwest region, I love, you know, it's a great region uh, in America. But so it's like, you know, because you're from Vegas, when you're in this region, you have San Diego, LA, Phoenix, Vegas. Uh, people in this region don't really go to New Mexico, but obviously you have Albuquerque. So, you know, and you have Colorado, if you want to consider that part of the region, but it's a great, it's a great region. But as far as traveling, it's kind of, it kind of, I want to say it blocks you to the region because it's, it's a choice to stay, but everything is not so close. You know, when you're over in Europe, like the places you were speaking of in Europe, you know, you can get to another country very quickly, very accessible. Whereas with, with this region, you're kind of, you know, you're just in your region. So I'm looking to, like, I feel like this next phase of my life is, is the travel phase. Even though I've traveled, I feel like I've traveled all of America and I've been to Canada, I've been to Costa Rica. I really want to get to that other side of the world so I could just see some things that are totally different. The things that you, you know, a lot of the things you've experienced. So how does one hire you yeah, for right. a tour guide? <laughs> do you do that yet? I'm Is actually just in, just in Peru, just in Peru. I'm the ultimate Peruvian tour, tour guide. You take me anywhere else. I, I can't, I can't hold the frequency. But so what but is it about I feel Peru? you, man? What? What? Yeah. What is it about Peru? You talk about Peru every time I talk to you. Yeah. So you know, twenty-seven years. At twenty-seven years old, I was in my senior year of college. I was uh, a writing assistant for an African American film history teacher, and he was doing a documentary on the Black Confederate soldiers. So the Black soldiers that actually fought against the Union armies. And it was like a super controversial documentary he was putting together. And he told me that he was doing a documentary of Valley High School. And I remember my mom said she met my dad at Valley High School. So I said, hey, like, I, I think my parents met there. And he looks at me and he goes, is your dad named Lane Rowling? And I go, yeah. He's like, 
Holy crap. That's my big brother's best friend. That's your dad. I'm calling him right now. So he called his brother. His brother called my dad. And my dad called me for the first time that night. We had our first conversation in my entire life with him. And come to find out, he's an infectious disease researcher living in the Amazon jungles of Peru, a black man. He left everything behind in 2004, went to the jungles. And it was this opening where I had a lot of wounds, but I was also working on my, my fitness practice, I was working on you know, healing my traumas. And the door opened up at that time in 2012. This is before I really started traveling to go to Peru. I'm like, this is incredible. I went down to Peru, went to the jungles of Peru. He took me into the hospitals. He showed me what he was doing there. They call him Dr. Fanta or Dr. Chocolate. Because the tribes can give him a two liter of Fanta soda and he'll do surgeries for them for free. So he became like this celebrity in the jungle communities. And it became one of my like most cherished pastimes is going down there. So from 2012 to 2016, I would go down there two to three times a year. Mend my relationship with my father really ups and downs, but also give back. And about 2016 is when I started really falling into my own in my career as a trainer and a yoga teacher. And I wanted to share with my friends. So I invited two people. And the next thing you know, I had 25 people come down for my first retreat. And I've done one a year ever since then, except with the exception of 2020. So Peru is just, it's just a space, man, where it's so far removed out of the quote unquote Western flow. It's so majestic in its nature. It's award-winning in its food. And it's really deep-rooted in its spirituality. And so I basically said that if I could create an experience where I can completely indulge in all of the things I love, friendship, food, growth, hikes, health, deep conversations, bonfires, stars, and adventure, what I would I create? And that's been Peru. So Peru has just been that gift given to me. One by my father and two, the, the lands of Peru kind of adopted me as, as their own. So you met your dad at 27 through, through a divine <laughs> synchronicity there. Yeah. I didn't even want to say through a coincidence. There's no way that that's a coincidence. That was th things like that, like stories like that. They just they make you think like, man. There is some type of higher energy. It has to be for, for, for a story like that to happen. So the first 27 years, I mean, did he know you were born? What, 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 tell, me, tell me kind of about the origin. Yeah, yeah. He knew I was born. He was 19 years old. He got my mom pregnant. She was a cougar, 27 years old. She was, you know, they, were, they had, I was a passion baby. They mm -hmm. were hooking up tough for a minute. And out <laughs> comes me. But he was broke, young, trying to go to medical school. And some other brother swooped in who had a little more cash. And my mom chose that for me because he was able to provide. <clears throat> and he went off and he continued medical school. And it just, the, our past never came back together after that. He ended up having, uh, I got three little sisters and a little brother on his side. My uncle spent 10 years in the NFL. 
they lived a completely different life, which was crazy. Like I'm growing up literally in the hood in the streets and I got an uncle who's playing and starting linebacker next to Junior Seau in the NFL. But it wasn't until 27 years later that we came together. And it was crazy because I had this smarts to me. I had this swagger to me. I had this athleticism to me that nobody knew where it came from. It wasn't until I met my father 27 years later that we got the exact same eyes, the exact same height, the exact same little funky head. It was like hilarious how the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, even though we had never met at that time. And the, and the ironic thing, too, is he's working in a practice of medicine to help people, to heal people. Yeah. And you're working on the physical side of that, doing physical training, doing yoga, getting people, getting their physical body to align spiritually. So it's like, in a way, you guys are doing the same work with different, different lanes, different titles, you know? Right, right. Hmm. So was it, what was the emotions like when, you know, the the professor's like, hey, I'm going to call him. And, you know, the first time seeing him, the first time talking to him, what were the emotions like as you go through that experience? You know, and about that time, I started noticing that there was this divine synchronicity that was beyond anything I knew. At that time, I was diving deeper into like reading The Alchemist and reading these books that were taking me beyond, quote unquote, my hood mentality. And so when that happened, I was like, of course that happens. Like I noticed once I started tapping into the magic at about 18, 19 years old and observing it, all these synchronicities continued to happen. And so when that happened, it was kind of like, yeah, of course that's, that's something that's going to pop up on my, on, in my life story. How it popped up is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. Like I could have never predicted that the, in, in a million years, let alone him being a prolific thinker and a prolific humanitarian. What's been really interesting about getting to know him is like, if I put him on a pedestal, he automatically fails. Pedestals crumble. When I see his humanity, I see a lot of me. And so it's, it's been really cool to like, see him as a mirror, a mirror of myself, a mirror of what not to do. Um, unconditional acceptance in some spaces and at the same time like also tolerance in, in others I noticed you spoke on at the very beginning you spoke on <laughs> making sure that people don't see you as on a pedestal and then now yeah. you spoke on that pedestal in the relationship or observation of your father so what's that, what's that thread there? What's going on with pedestals? Yeah, you know, I think sometimes, because um, he's a doctor, he's a trauma surgeon, also military special forces, virologist. And so if I just look at his academics and his credentials, this dude's carved out a pedestal where a lot of people around them, especially doctors, they, like, they praise him. You know what I mean? He has swagger for days and everything like that. And when I first met him, I held him onto that pedestal. And then when I saw his humanity, I would be very offended and very and I would judge him, you know, or even the fact that he wasn't in my life at all. I would just judge him and was just super, uh, tried to hold him to that pedestal. It wasn't until I started just seeing the humanity in him that I started to be able to laugh at him. I looked at him like a dysfunctional brother rather than uh, Superman falling from grace. 
And then for me at the same time, it's kind of crazy because I kind of followed suit as far as like me building up a platform for myself. And for so long, I was so caught up in perfectionism, maintaining that platform at all costs and not letting people see my weaknesses or anything like that. And I realized that in doing so, I was actually cutting myself off from deeper connections and a deeper sense of being able to just share who I was in an authentic way. And so 2018, when I walked away from my gym, 2016, when I walked away from my gym, but 2018, when I lost all my gyms and got sued for $600,000, my whole pedestal imploded. And I had to basically, in the, in the aftermath of it all, really root in who it was I, that I am. And I, I kind of told myself, like, You've done enough good work that you're never going to lose the ability to influence. You, you carved out a niche of mastery in your respective field. But this time around, don't get so caught up in Diagon Tower. Keep your feet on the ground, and it, it will be much more sustainable. And that's kind of what I've been after the last few years is like one foot on the ground and the other foot in, in interdimensional travel but always keeping that root, keeping that tether. Remembering. There's a person who's listening to the podcast and they're saying to themselves, wait a minute, did he just say he got sued for $600,000? <laughs> yeah. Every time I see it and every time I look back at that moment, it's the craziest thing I've ever experienced. I never thought in a million years I would get sued for over half a million dollars by being the good guy, by people pleasing. That's really what happened. I was, um, this long, sto long, long story made short, in 2012, after I graduated with my master's degree, I decided to open up a sports performance gym in Vegas. And me and my business partner, we bankrolled the whole entire thing. We funded it out of our own pockets because we didn't have the money, we didn't have the credit, and we built it. We went from him and me to eventually we had 50 employees plus, and we won business of the year in 2015. That opened up the space for us to have more gyms because it was a proven, proven system, and we were the, the premier gym in Vegas at that time, and I, in 2016, started to want to... to dive deeper into my potential and into my growth. And the gym was systemized. So I'm 29 at that time. I'm like, you know what? I got residual money coming in. I'm about to go travel the world. This is what I'm going to do. And 2016, I decided to pull back from my full-time involvement in the gym. But because we were so, we had so much momentum at that time, we went ahead and started rolling out other gyms. And I personally guarantee the other gyms on my name. So I guarantee gym two, 10-year contract, $12,000 a month. Six months after that gym opened and six months, six months after I started to do the travel thing, that gym, they shut it down without really me knowing. They, they weren't honest with the business. My business partners weren't honest with the numbers and the gym got shut down. And as part of it getting shut down, I was left with the whole entire lease because I guaranteed it. And so they did that. And about a year later, they figured out how to squeeze me out of my contracts. Not only did I lose my gym, I lost my community. 
and I lost uh, lost everything I built in a mm. flash, in a mm. divine flash. That must have sent you into depression. It sent me into depression. It sent me into wounds. It sent me into my traumas. It sent me into fight or flight responses. It sent me into deep in the Negredo. <laughs> I was in the Negredo deeply. For those who don't know the Negredo, uh, it's the blackening or the, the dark night of the soul, first stage of alchemy where prime materials materialized. But yeah, it was it was one of the craziest things I've ever experienced. And I lost the entire community. And looking back, hindsight 2020, it really was a result of me not being firm with my boundaries. It was a half a million dollar lesson that without strong boundaries, without having hard conversations, without standing in my worth, without really asserting what it is I need, that's what happens. I was so loose with handshakes and trying to people please and make everybody feel good and like, kumbaya, my Lord, you know what I mean? And in that space of me not being strong with my boundaries and being a real businessman, it ended up costing me everything. Obviously, it all worked out. And that's the beautiful thing is how, you know, this universe works. But I don't want to go through that again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you won't. You won't. Yeah. There's no way you you would allow yourself. Yeah. Period. This is a selfish question but it will serve the people listening. You're a reader. I need, I need some books. I need some books. Give me, give me five must read books. The Surrender Experiment. Green Lights. Shantaram for your fiction. Have you read The Alchemist's Life? I read it like in, in college, I think I read it. It's been a while. That's one of the alchemists. That's one of those books that I recommend revisiting often. And you read the four agreements. Yeah, the four agreements. Yeah, Don Miguel Ruiz. Okay, give me those titles one more time. Green lights. The surrender experiment. The alchemist. Four agreements. Shantaram. How do you spell that? S H A N T R A M. Shantaram is incredible. A fiction book. One of the most incredible fiction novels of all time. It's like fiction, nonfiction. It's like this guy who basically becomes a drug lord in the slums of India. He's an Australian dude who broke out of jail. But the storytelling is fascinating. We got to get you Care Package, A Path to Deep Healing. I heard that was a good book. And that author, he's got a new one coming out called Loving Yourself Properly. We got to get your hands on that too. I guarantee Please. that book, I guarantee you that book, that 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 yeah. book will crack your, your next year's top five for you. It'll crack next year's top five. I promise you that. I can't wait, man. I love your work, man. It's, it's cool to be in uh, the space with you, bro. Because it's cool to see like your creative process the love that you give, power that you hold, what you stand for, what you represent. And yeah, you're brilliant. 
And so it's an honor to be able to experience you on a more regular basis through mind and through the mastermind and things like that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I accept that. I receive that. Uh, thank you. Talk, you mentioned mind. Tell us about mind. Tell us about what it is, what you do on there, how you got picked, you know, the whole, the whole story. I'm sure, I'm sure we would love to connect with you on mind. So t- tell us about, about that. Yeah, so Mind is the first ever social emotional network. Both Sly and I, along with several other of the best in the game, are experts on there. And it basically gives people access to the power of therapy, the power of community, the power of tribe, the power of diving into all types of the challenges that we have at the click of a button. And we've been working in a beautifully intentional way for the last eight months. I think a lot of us are over 50 videos recorded. And really what what I'm seeing personally is just it becoming an indispensable and valuable resource for people to come and dive in on a regular basis. And what I love most about the experts is everyone is, every person that's online is one of the best in the game and what they do. But more importantly than that, they have some of the most potent hearts that I've ever experienced. I feel like when you got the power in the heart, that's when it really becomes magnetic. And so mind, every time I step into mind, I step into what I, what I feel like is the Avengers, the table of the Avengers. And we all bring our own special sauce. And this is only the beginning. We just launched our 2.0. And we're going to continue to just rock and roll and share love, share, share community and share the tools that more than anything are really based off of our own experiences. It's kind of like we've, we've all been in the metaphorical jungles of our own lives. And now we get to share our tools and what's worked best for us with, uh, with, with the people. Yeah. So I have it. I just pulled up the app right now and the new update looks incredible. So, you know, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, the 22nd. The episode will come out next Sunday. But as you hear, as a matter of fact, I think I can go, I can go there. Let's see. Wow, it's incredible. You can literally go to each day. You can see who's speaking, what the topic is. There's topics like, You're speaking next on cultivate your tools, find your gems. There's a queer sex question and answer with our uh, sex therapist, Shadeen Francis. Dr. Alexandra Salomon, she's she's chatting on the cheating partner, talking about infidelity. Uh, Jen is in conversation with uh, Mr. Desmond uh, Napolis. There's actually a pride one with uh, Raphael and Shadeen. You're speaking again on master your ego. I mean, there's there's just so many different there's just so many different topics, and that's one of the things I love about it. You know, you go on social media. You know, if your mental let's not even assume your mental your mental wellness is bad. Let's not assume that. Let's just assume you're the type of person who you want thoughts and you want energy and you want confirmation and affirmations around. You know, affirming your life. Healing your life, focusing on your goals, focusing on business, focusing on family. Um, that's the type of app you need in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, 
you go on there, you're not you're not getting ads from the fashion industry telling you how ugly you are. <laughs> you know, you're not getting ads like just telling you how you're disgusting, you're stupid, you're too short, you're whatever the, you know, and that's the effect of social media. Social media makes us right. compare ourselves. It makes us look, it's like, oh, I'm a millionaire. Yeah, but you're not a deca millionaire, so you're broke. <laughs> you know? It's like, man, I just bought this new car. Oh, but you look on social media and here's a guy in a Rolls Royce Phantom. <laughs> you're like, you're like, oh, my new car. I don't, I'm not even enjoying my new, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's what I love about mind, is it's just all like emotional yeah. wellness support. And it's just something that like when they asked me to do it, I'm like, man. This is something I would personally use. Like if even yeah. if if, yeah. if I just randomly saw it, I'm like, oh yeah, I got to get this app. You know, I'm glad that yeah. they asked me to be a part of it from the very beginning. I was and, so nervous, um, man. You know, I said no at first. Wow, wow. So here's it was a timing thing for me. It was my son was born in March, and Mark and Aaron they got me on a Zoom. Mark kind of tricked me. He was like, he's like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I got this cool thing happening. So I'm like, okay, Mark, yeah, that, that sounds good. And for those of you that don't know, I'm referring to Mark Groves. I've had him on the podcast before. And I'm like, yeah, Mark, that sounds good. And so I get on there and then him and Aaron, they have this whole slideshow. They're like, hey, we want you to be a part of mine. We just started it. You know, it, do it doesn't even exist yet. You know, literally it didn't even exist. It wasn't even an app. It was just, we want you to be a part of this thing from the very beginning. We want you to be one of the founding members. So I was like, nah, man, I can't do it. I had literally just had my son. I, would, I didn't know what the hell was going on. They just announced we were in a pandemic. Everything was shut down. It was starting to get hot in Arizona. And I always stress out when it gets hot, except for this summer, because I completely changed my mindset. So I just had all this change happening. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I can handle this. So I said, no. They hounded me for like a week. They're like, come on, you have to do this. You have no choice. Like, you need to be in here. You need to do it. So finally, I said, I said no again. It's the second week, same thing. They're just recruiting me. I'm like, no. Now, about two weeks went by, and I was, a, I was finally able to kind of process what they were asking me. I think I, think I had a hard time saying yes right away because I was going through so much change. So accepting more change, was just, it just felt like it was so much so fast. So I got my feet, you know, I kind of got my feet under my ground as a parent. I started leaning into what was happening with COVID and I started to understand like, okay, there's a, there's a, there's a serious reaction to COVID. You know, I started to understand that. And as I got a little bit, as I kind of leaned more into my body, then I recognized, I'm like, dude, you cannot pass up what mind is. Mind is exactly one of the things I've been asking for is a space where it's just emotional wellness. I've literally wanted that my whole career. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, <clears throat> It was so now we're like, like doing this little dance. So I text Aaron, uh, the co-owner, and I text Mark, and I'm like, "Hey, I want to get back in." They don't respond, so I'm like, "Oh, okay." Now you guys want to give me what I have to do. <laughs> so I, I call them. I'm like, "Hey, we need to talk. Like, we need to set up a meeting. I want to do mine." So um, then we get out. We get in a meeting, and I'm like, "Hey, you know," and I pretty much explained to him, like, you know, it just the timing of it was off for me. I didn't have time to process my life, so I've processed my life have to do this and they're like all right let's go you know so it's been cool to see to be a part of a startup bro it's been one of the best things yeah. in my career to be a part of a startup to see Same. you know the back end like see how startups yeah. actually work yeah we're like we're, we're kind of in business together bro without even realizing like we've literally have like with our team spearheaded the entire startup it's been wild 
I don't even know if I fully comprehend or accept that I work for a startup. I don't, I don't, I think I just realized that right now. I think that's what makes it beautiful. It's like we're fully enmeshed in a startup culture and we don't even realize it because we're so passionate about the topic. It doesn't even feel like work. It's like a necessity. And I think that's what, that's what breeds innovation, right? I, I, I can only imagine that when like Steve Jobs was creating Apple, <clears throat> it wasn't for any other reasoning. He was so aligned with what was happening that him and his crew just, they were in it. And that's how I feel like, yeah, mind is like second nature to me now. It's like, I, yes, this is my thing. The other day, they almost took one of my episodes off because uh, of a glitch in the background. And I was prepared and I was like, Courtney, we have to get this going. I don't care if I'm 15 minutes late, like I'm showing up on my on mine today because it, it does something. There's a visceral feeling that happens when I'm able to engage in the community the way that you know, mind is, lets us engage in the communities. And I'm sure you feel, felt the same way at times. Oh yeah, I need it. It's, 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 it's a part of my week. Every Sunday at 9 a.m., PST, I'm on there. I don't miss unless, unless, it's, unless, it's some, unless something comes up ahead of time. Uh, I think the last time I missed was Valentine's Day. And uh, that's because I had my teeth, I, I got my teeth pulled. It, it needs to be something extreme if I'm going to miss because it's a, part, it's a big part of, a part of my life now. Uh, what times do you usually go at? I go at Monday and Wednesdays at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And that's been what I've been rocking and rolling with for a while. I'm super excited about my next series. It's actually an introduction into psychedelics. Mm. And I'm going to take people on a deep dive. And we're, we're, working, we're working it out. It's going to require me to go in deep research mode. But what we're putting together is super cool. And I feel what, like... Uh, do you have a date for when that starts? That starts the first Wednesday or the first month Wednesday actually of July. Nope. Yeah, July seventh. Okay, let me let me look, let me look at the calendar because I want to make sure this podcast will be out. So today is the twenty second. It won't come out the twenty seventh. This podcast will come out July fourth. So you're going to be starting the, the series on Monday the 5th, right? On, on July the 7th, yeah. So Monday is always a.m. wake up. Okay. Oh, so July yeah. 7th. Okay, so you'll, be, you'll go on mine Monday morning, and then you'll go on mine again Wednesday. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. So when, when, this, when this episode comes out, if you're listening to this episode right away, I'm going to release it at like 4 in the morning. So you'll be able to, you'll be able to get me this Sunday. So come on mind. And then you'll be able to get Brandon on Mondays and Wednesdays. I can't wait for that for that uh, psychedelic episode. And so you know I've what's crazy? Is, yeah, yeah. Right, let, let's go that. there for a second. I've, <laughs> I've done shrooms um, several times, actually. I've never done anything, uh, any, anything else. As far as, as far as drugs go, I've never done drugs. I've, I've smoked weed. I've done edibles. but Molly, ecstasy, Percocets, cocaine, any of that stuff. I've never personally mm -hmm. done any of that. I've never, I've never had a desire to do any of that stuff. Um, but shrooms, when I did the research on shrooms and I saw how it was um, naturally occurring in the earth, I'm like, oh, well, anything that's naturally occurring in the earth, my body can, can digest and process. So me and Daisy actually did shrooms. Very first time I did it, it was um, 
20, what was that, like 2015? Yeah, it was like 2015, the first time I did shrooms. For me, it was a great experience because it brought me a great deal of closure. Sometimes I don't believe that closure is real. Sometimes I do. I go back and forth on what I believe with closure. But at that moment, it brought me a great deal of closure. It let me never forget, man. I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona, in um, apartments called Fireside Apartments. It was a little 700-square-foot apartment, one bedroom. I, I was barely getting by. My business was, was two years old, and I was, I was check to check, as they say. But I wasn't really getting checks because I was in my business. So I was living book to book. Every book I sold paid rent. It paid food. It paid, it paid everything. And it was, it was small, you know? I was only making two, 3000 a month off, wow. off of my books at the beginning. But I mean, that was more than enough for me because I'm like, man, I don't have to work for anybody else. I get to invest in my passion. I get to control my time. So my mindset was it's not really that much money. And it started at zero. It took me two years to get up to 2000. So when I was, when I recognized that, I'm like, man, this is great. Like I can really build this out. And so I had so much pain though. So much unresolved pain. And when I did those psychedelics, it was the first time in my adult life that I gave myself permission to let go of the, tra- of the trauma and the pain that happened to me in my teenage years, in my adolescence, and even when I was a kid. I re- that was the very first time that I recognized that the body and the mind that I had at that present moment was not the body and mind of the person who went through all that trauma. And wow. I gave myself permission to let go. And that was, what, six, six seven years ago. It was incredible. What was your first experience like with, with psychedelics? Yeah, I've, um, you know, I would say I'm a, I'm a beginner, but at the same time, I'm, I'm dove into a lot of psychedelics once the psychedelic window opened up because of my connection to Peru, which happens to be right in the Mecca of kind of plant medicine at the moment, Peru and Brazil and the most potent psychedelics on earth. Once I got into the psychedelic world, that, uh, that became something that I was very interested in exploring. I believe the first psychedelic that I worked with was ayahuasca. Mm. In 2016. Now, ayahuasca is stronger. I don't know if stronger is the right word, but ayahuasca is strong. It's supposed to be stronger than shrooms. Is that correct? Much stronger. Well, it depends. If you go hero dose with shrooms, you can experience very, very profound athenogenic, that's the word, athenogenic spiritual experiences like ayahuasca. Um, But in my experience, ayahuasca is much more intense, much more out of body. Um, And it's natural, you know, it comes from the plants. They take the chacruna leaves and they take ayahuasca vine, they brew it for upwards of 10 to 14 hours. And these medicine men are masters of it. And you drink a little cup of tea. And because of the chemical compound, it releases an enzyme that allows for the natural DMT in the medicine to flow up into the brainstem, activating the pineal gland. And you go into this vision quest. And so my first time working with um, 
ayahuasca similar to you with mushrooms because I believe they're allies. They're like brothers from other mothers. I had all this trauma. I was at my peak at that time in the Vegas scene and I was getting caught up in women. I was getting caught up in liquor. I was getting caught up in the ego. I was getting caught up in all my vices, you know, say new levels, new devils, or, you know, don't wait to become, don't wait to start acting successful because when success comes, you won't be prepared for it. I wasn't really prepared for it. And I took the ayahuasca and um, never experienced anything out of body in my life at that time. And the next thing you know, I close my eyes and feel this wave of energy come over me and I can't open my eyes. And all of a sudden, and this is my, me doing my best job of explaining it. Like, just like mushrooms, like words are limiting to the experience. But I opened my eyes and I saw, I saw my ancestors sitting there looking at me and they told me I was disrespecting them. And they said, we want you to see you. You need to start seeing you how we see you. You need to start loving yourself how we love you, which is unconditionally. And they're like, how you are acting, how you're treating yourself, you're disrespecting all of us. And it was this crazy confrontation with like my ancestral lines. And basically I was shown that I was disrespecting myself because I didn't love myself at that time. And that journey, that ceremony became the catalyst where a year later I walked away from everything. I saw something different. And I also was shown like all the traumas that I was, that I went through in the streets for the first time, I was able to look into them objectively. Just like you said, I was able to actually remove myself from the traumas long enough to see it and say, that's not me anymore. And so that became the catalyst for a while. Like, just like you, no drugs, not into that. But I saw healing happen. It wasn't coming from life coaches and therapy that I've never experienced before. And so that led to a, a two to three year journey of working with peyote bufo mushrooms and ayahuasca Mm. you know therapist therapy never worked for me personally what has always worked for me and i'm not shaming therapy i think therapy is great it just never worked for me it never was i felt like so I've had the, the, the current therapist that I have, I haven't ch- chatted with him in a while, but he's the only one, you know, Francis, Francis Weller. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. Every other therapist before him just wasn't like, they didn't vibrate at a level at a frequency that I felt like they could meet me at. Yeah. I felt like they were too in the book Yeah, and they, and they, and they weren't. If, if I come, if you come to me and I'm your trainer, and I'm not living the code of what I'm teaching you. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to get you results. It just, it just means you're not really in that code. Mm-hmm. Like vibrationally, you're not in that code. Like right. if I banging all the donuts and I don't work out, I don't stretch, I don't do anything. I just, I just have residual strength in here, you know. That's not, that's not really what, what I want. You know, you want someone who's, who's walking to talk when they're teaching you. And my, my experience with therapy is like, other than the most present therapist is vibrationally, they always seemed out of alignment. 
I'll tell you this one. I did have this therapist when I was 22, 23, maybe. And uh, there was this relationship I was in. I'll never forget what she said to me. I sat at the, the little chair and I'm complaining for like 10 minutes about, man, this girl, this, this girl, that, she, this, you know, just complaining. And I use this line still because it's like the best question you can ask someone, in my opinion. And she goes, well, Sylvester, how long can you survive? And I was like, excuse me? What'd you say? She was like, how long can you survive? And I'm like, shit. Okay, well, that relationship was over the next week. Wow. Because <laughs> once, I, once I realized that that relationship was killing me through her question oh of God. how long can you survive, I was like, oh, I got to go. So cheers to her, too. I would say she was good, too. What's, what's been your relationship with therapy? Yeah, you know, I, I, feel, I feel you on the same, same level. And I think that the more work that you do, the more vibratorily a person has to be in alignment to take you where you need to go. For example, mm. a yellow belt, or let's just, for jujitsu purposes, a blue belt can teach a white belt a lot. That's enough for a white belt. But a white belt can't really teach a blue belt. Maybe it can teach about humble, being humble. But a blue belt then needs a purple belt next level up. And that purple belt needs a brown belt. And that brown belt needs a black belt. So you got like the master trainers that are like, can teach everybody. Right. But then there's like levels to that. And I think with any game, you know, you get therapists who just got out of school. Maybe they, they're going to be effective for some people. But I feel like the more tools that are in your toolbox, you know what I mean? The more expansive you become, the more you need somebody who is truly a master of craft to permeate and take you where you need to, to be mentally. My, my experience with therapy, I had a life coach um, slash therapist when I was 26 after a breakup. And she changed my life, man. She was a 60-year-old white woman. She was completely objective to me. She helped me get out of my, a lot of my, my, my traumas. She helped me position myself in a space of abundance and power. And she, after about six years, I felt like I didn't need her anymore. And I actually just brought her back six months ago and realized that she had layers and levels that I couldn't even access because I wasn't there vibrate, vibratory mm. at that moment. So now she's back on the team as just like a life coach and once again, an objective person that is completely outside of my circle. And then I actually, I, I just finally found this other guy who is a, is a psychotherapist who I brought on my team. And he is, uh, he's great. He's the first, again, objective therapist to just like, it's helping me clean out the crevices, clean out those like the cobwebs that I, I, I missed in the edge of the closet. So I think that um, I met a lot of coaches, a lot of therapists, a lot of master classes that don't jive, don't resonate. So if in 36 years of me being on this planet, I met two that, that do resonate. Yeah, I think that's that's the win. That's how I feel, too. I got about two right now that are, <laughs> you know, but that's that. I mean, that's the thing when you when you're doing. The phrase is, you know, doing the work when you're introspecting, when you're yeah. learning, when you're really asking questions, when you're really observing, you can gain so much about yourself. You know, you can really 
I feel like more, the more you do the work, the more you begin to trust yourself, the more you begin, begin to come into alignment with yourself. You know, half of healing is beginning to trust yourself. You know, the majority of the, of the pain that we experience makes us not trust ourselves. This is the experience of anxiety. We don't trust the, the, the environment. We don't trust the environment that we're in. We don't really trust how we may respond to the environment. But when you can begin to, it's interesting, you gave me a book title with the word surrender in it. Surrender experiment. When you, you begin to surrender, there's no anxiety. You trust. In, in surrender, anxiety cannot live in surrender. You, anxiety, one of, the, one of the symptoms of anxiety is obsessive need to control. Well, that's a direct response to your trauma. The reason you want to control is because of your trauma. Why are you trying to control? Because you want to prevent yourself from future pain. This causes anxiety. So how do we remedy that? Well, what if we could trust ourselves? Well, if you can trust yourselves, then that pulls you into a space where you don't feel the need to control because you're in the loving vibration with yourself. You get out of the need to control, anxiety goes away. Now you see the picture clearly. That's why I just, I just, believe, I just believe in this work so much. Tell me if I come to you and I'm like, Brandon, help me. Help me. Where, do, where, where, where would you start? Of all, all the tools you have, where do you start with someone when they say, help me? Yeah. Well, I first feel like one size doesn't fit all. I feel like each person needs a different dose of medicine, which is why I have weaponized my tool belt with many different modalities. Sometimes people need our ears. Sometimes people need our mind. Sometimes people need our heart. And knowing when to pull each one of those out, I think is the staple of a, a good teacher. Somebody left me with two questions back when I was starting out. He said, if you really want to be one of the best in the game, he said, you got to lead by example. So flawless integrity as much as you can, like walk the walk, like you said earlier. And he said, you can't be afraid to help others become better than you. Mm. And so when I do work with people, I always go into the attention of like, I want to help this person become so good that they don't even need me, or they surpass me. And that allows for me to come in as a human rather than as some force of mastery that is going to keep the student-teacher relationship like intact. One of my master teachers always says a yoga teacher or a yoga master should be no more than a friend, no less than a friend. And that's where the real teaching starts to happen. So as a preface, like that's my mentality when I approach people. And then it's really a case-by-case basis. What I do know is that movement transforms mental state, physical state, spiritual state. And so if I had like a one guaranteed thing that could change anybody who comes to me, it's every day start to move, engage in a movement practice. That alone right there will transform. If we then want to take it a little deeper, engage in a meditation practice, couple that. We want to go a little bit deeper. Now every day, just write down three things you're grateful for. Start to be a little more gracious in your gratitude. Take it a little bit deeper. I want you to start to like learn something, a little bit of mastery, invoke the inner master. And then lastly, be a little more kind, a little more compassionate, acts of love every day. Those five things, those pillars, have nothing to do with me and everything to do with somebody else. And 
those are the doorways. Those are the path openers for somebody to start to have their own inner epiphanies. I am not their guru. I'm just a friend. They are the gurus, and I'm just trying to hold up a mirror to say, tap into your guruhood. Now, we could go different levels, different spaces. I could become your trainer and start to take you through a sports performance program, take one through a yoga practice and have them start to get in touch with their breath and some of the deeper aspects of yoga. We could go into, you know, I'm an osteotype massage therapist as well. I can start to help wake up the intrinsic intelligence in their body so their body starts to heal itself. But in none of these spaces am I claiming to be an authority. I'm just holding the space of a loving awareness for them to begin to heal themselves. And so that's what I think I'm good at. That's why I am where I am in this weird, nobody really knows what I am, this unworthy house. He works for Nike. He does this. He does that. I think I am one of the best in the world at being a mirror for people to see the potential and power that lies within them. And through my own work, I become a cleaner mirror. When we don't do the work, we're distorted like one of those carnivals. And people see a distorted image in, in me. And as an authority figure, I have to make sure that my inner work is good so that my that when people are in my presence, they're seeing themselves as clean as possible, not in some distorted, misaligned way. The image that you have, the image of yourself, obviously, not, it's not a fake image. I, you know, when we say image, we think like fake, but the image of yourself that you have, I wonder if it's the image that we see on the outside. Very interesting question. And I, I would probably argue to say that no. I mean, I'm I'm there's eight billion people on this planet. There's eight billion people that see me differently in some respect or another. Nothing like a relationship to tell you how somebody sees you completely differently, you know. And I'm I'm in this love, love uh this connection down here in Mexico. And it's interesting to see what comes up for her. You know, I wonder, for example, how Superman feels about himself and how the world right. sees Superman. Mm-hmm. And I guess I guess therein lies the the opportunity to one, I think it reinforces the notion of why our own inner self-work is so important because we get to create the narrative of who it is we are. And through boundaries, we get to continue to reinforce the notion of who we are. And I think by carefully selecting people who are in alignment with who we say we are, we, uh, we again, doubly reinforce that. And to add to that, there's also the recognition of I am changing, I am, I am becoming a new person, and yeah. therefore I will leverage my boundaries to say no to who I am not and to the people to the people who want to keep me trapped in an old way of thinking old way of being the who people people who want me to be my old self old self when I've already recognized that I'm trying to cultivate this new energy in me I have to say no to those people you have to have boundaries with those people that bring you back into the old way of being that bring you back into your old self especially if you feel yourself freeing yourself or attempting to literally have to say no to these people. No, 
I will not go back to that. I am not that person anymore. You can't, you can't make me go back to my pain or to my habits that almost made me lose my marriage or to my ha- habits that had me overweight or to my habits that whatever it is, you fill in the blanks for your own journey. If you could, this is a question you're never going to hear again. Your, you know, we always talk about your past self. They always say, if you could go give your, your past self. No, no. The version of you in one year from, from, from today. What advice would you give the version of you in one year from today? As if I'm one year and I'm giving it into the past to myself now or right now? Giving no, the person you one year. now. What would you go into the future and tell yourself in the future? It's time for babies, brother. <laughs> like you didn't, you uh, you create, you create like that, man. That's what I'm telling. No, I'm I'm so fascinated with fatherhood, and it's been it's been in my cells like the last couple of years. I uh, I'm excited. I'm so excited to be a father, and I got baby energy. Like I've never felt that before. And I feel, and you can probably attest to this, that one of the biggest masterclasses in existence is being a parent. And so I am at this juncture starting to lay the foundation to become a parent. And a year from now, I feel like I'm going to be very deeply into that space of, uh, you know, harvesting the field and getting ready to be a, a father. I love it, man. Let me know how I can support that journey. You've already been more than gracious enough. You know, I, I, I think that the last few of our mastermind group calls, I've been blown away where the conversations go. It's so elevated, so magnetic, it's so potent, and it's so cool to see, you know, several Black men coming together to grow and to evolve and to dive deep into concepts that are normally not talked about within, you know, the African-American culture. Uh, for context, for the people who don't know, uh, we, uh, we have a weekly mastermind where we come together and jam on uh, different topics. This mastermind is it's all men. It's a group of men. And uh, we, man, we, we jam on a bunch of different topics, but it's not... You know, it's not the way that men normally get together. Men normally get together. Hey, bro, let's basically this is how how it sounds. Well, most men talk. Hey, bro, let's get some beers. Let's look at some boobs. Let's watch some ball games. Beer, boobs, and ball games. That's usually like the the trifecta. To, yeah, you know, to bring men together. Beers, boobs, and ball games. But it's like, okay, I'm not gonna shame any of that because all of that can be good and all of that can be fun and all of that can be great. But if the only interaction we have is drinking alcohol, talking about women and watching millionaires play sports, that's an interaction that I want to say no to. I need, I need more than that. I need so much more than that. Did you ever, growing up, did you ever feel Almost like you were out of alignment with other men, other boys, just growing up as a man. Did you ever feel like you were kind of different or weird, quote unquote? 
Yeah, yeah. My whole life. So I met other weirdos and then realized I, I just wasn't around the people that were my type of weird. That's all you need. You, you just got to meet the weirdos that are weird like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I felt the same thing, man, especially in high school. It was very hard for me because they'd be like, you know, some of the white guys would be like, oh, why don't you go hang out with your brothers? And then the quote unquote brothers would be like, why, why do you hang out with those white guys? Why? It's like, bro, I just want to play sports. <laughs> yeah, Get yeah. out of this town. <laughs> yeah. I don't care who I hang out with. Just as long as you're not doing dumb shit that's going to get me in trouble, we're good. Right, right. But, but I didn't really have like the capacity to understand like race and just all the things that, that people make a big deal. I just didn't really have the capacity to understand that growing up. So I always felt like, always felt like an outcast. That's part of the reason I became a writer because with writing, you, you always have that. There's no judgment. Your notebook never judges you. So you could put any of those thoughts or ideas in that notebook and it's, it's freedom. It's a space of freedom. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's like, it came to me a lot too when I achieved my first level of like success when I was the traveling trainer to several of the top DJs and, I'm, you know, VIP, red carpets, all that stuff there was a moment in that space as well where I realized I wasn't fitting in. I remember one night we were at a villa in Las Vegas and it was super dark and late at night. And it was like this gloomy, eerie feeling. Everybody was drunk. They were doing whatever, who knows what they were doing. And I sat back on this sofa and I'm just observing, have my gold chain on and everything like that. And I'm observing, I'm like, this is not cool. This is not where I want to be. I don't want to be in some shadowy club at 4 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. I want to be waking up at 6 a.m., praying, giving my gratitude, celebrating, moving, being healthy, and being as high a vibration of a human as I can. And so that was a big part of me leaving as well, was like, again, realizing like those were not my people. Right. I need to go a lot of times, too, you have to, you have to go through that, too. I remember I, I used to club promote in Chicago. That, that was my very first entrepreneurship business. See, I went to the club. Me and my, my friend Dre went to the club. They didn't let us in. They're like, oh, you, the, the bouncer was like, oh, you look like shit. You're not dressed right. You got on gym shoes. I'm not letting you in here. And I was like, well, what do I have to do to get in here? He's like, well, you have to pay 20 bucks. You got to dress like, you know, put on a shirt and tie. I said, well, man, I don't have $20. Is there any other way? I can? <laughs> Is there any other way? Wow. I was like, yeah, you could, you could be a promoter. I say, a promoter, what's that? He's like, oh, you know, you, you talk to the manager up here. They'll set you up. You can get people to come here, but they can't come here dressed like you. <laughs> the bouncer was such a, <laughs> such a jerk. And I was like, okay, cool. So I think I only had $20 in my account. So I ended up going wow. to Walmart, bought me a little shirt and tie <laughs> and some slacks <laughs> with the 20 bucks. And uh, this was like 2009, 2010. And um, I got on Facebook. So I had like a... 5,000, 10,000 friends on Facebook. I had the most you could have. The reason I had that many is because, you know, from playing sports in college and then just being like a popular guy in college. So this is after college and um, I never really used social media. So I was like, well, damn, let me log on to my Facebook. And Facebook at the time, they had it set up. This is, this is how I learned how to market and promote, by the way. I, uh, I put up the calendar. They used to have a calendar feature where you could see everybody's birthday. So... Wow, there's like 40 birthdays this month. So I just messaged every single person 
made up this really, it, it was a lie at the time, but it was my vision. So it was the truth in my head, but physically it was a lie. And I'm like, hey, I'm a club promoter at some of the biggest company, some of the biggest clubs downtown Chicago, Soundbar, Level, Level doesn't exist. They closed it. Uh, Crescendo, we had a whole bunch of them. Uh, I think one called V Live, we had a whole bunch of them. And I told him, I said, hey, I can get you in, I can get you free entry, I can get you free drinks. Now I'm sending this message to 21, 22, and 23 year olds who are out of college. You know, the next, the next uh, week, I think that was like a Sunday through Thursday, I was on that computer. The next Friday, I show up. I got like a hundred people ready to get in the club before ten. You know, in the yeah, you know how it is. You know, you don't go to the club till late. I had people before ten ready to get in, and got paid for every head. And that was like confirmation to me that I I understood the business. I knew how to market. I knew how to promote. That was my very first business. Yes, wow. While working my corporate job in the daytime. That's crazy, man. That's a. Uh, I think everybody needs to have that experience. It gave you contrast. You're able to see it. Because like before that, I remember before I got in that space, I'd be like standing in the standing in the line. You know what I mean? Like pulling out the car, hoping it doesn't go overdraft to get the beer or maybe buy a girl drink or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then go on the other side of it, and you realize like, oh, this is cool, but like, is this really? Is this really for me? And, and what I realized is like now when I go to the club. I still, you know, I'm still very plugged with a lot of those guys in Vegas and everything like that. But actually, I do a tea ceremony. I'm the only guy sitting in the the club with tea. I haven't bring out hot tea for me, and it changed up the whole thing. So it was it was not about completely leaving it behind, but it was about making the environment making the environment mine rather than making letting the environment make me. Facts adjusting to it. And my thing is this: I'll go to the club right now, you know, but. I'm bougie now. So first of all, I'm not waiting in line. Like we need to go directly to the man up front. I'll yeah. give him 20. I'll give him 30. I'll give him $40. We need to get in right now. I'm not about to be standing in line for hours on end. You know, I, I won't do that. And then like, I don't like when you're like trying to walk around, people just bumping you, shouldering you. Yeah, yeah. The six, six dude walks by, you get some of his armpit on your yeah. head. Like, so we need our own area that we can always refer back to. We need our own table. We need our own section. If we're not doing that, I don't even need to drink because I don't drink anymore. But I need my own table so I can sit down <laughs> so I can be comfortable. <laughs> when you're ready for Vegas, that's where that's my stomping ground. When you're ready to get a Cooper bus in Vegas. We will, we will go out and we will do an evening in Vegas. I'll, I'll do a day and a half with you in Vegas. You don't need much more than that. <laughs> yeah, I did 33 years in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, but see, you, you weren't on the strip. You know, you were in the city of Vegas, which is, which is a pretty cool vibe. If you're on the strip, all you need is about 30, 30 hours and get out of there. So what was crazy is from 2012 to 2017, I lived on the strip and my gym was on the strip. Oh. Yeah, my gym was the first gym that was like on the strip, right off the strip, downtown Vegas. That's so insane like energy. Whirlwind, man. Yeah, that's a vortex of energy. All right, Brandon, we appreciate you for joining us. I think I took you a little bit over your time. I'm sorry about that. It's all but good, thank man. You. Thank you for creating with us today. Last thing, tell us, when you hear the words, free your energy, what does that mean to you? 
means to shine. It means to hold nothing back. The sun doesn't compete with other suns. It just shines unlimitedly. It's essentially the freest form of energy that we get to experience on a daily basis. All we got to do is look up to the sky. So I think the sun is a beautiful metaphor of what it means to free our energy. So may we all shine like the suns that we are.